At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. In the old days, not so long ago, madmen were packed onto boats and shipped off to sea. They were said to be searching for their lost sanity. They called these boats the Ship of Fools. And for a long time, we thought we were the sane ones left behind on dry land. But what if we're not? What if so much time has passed that we've forgotten the truth? That we are, in fact, the fools. Afloat on an endless sea. Pretending to be normal. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. And welcome to the stranded ship of fools, perhaps cosmic in nature. Maybe this isn't a prison planet, but a galactic insane asylum for us rebellious monkeys. We've just forgotten, except for the ancestral cry to uprise bubbling through our DNA, at least for some of us. Some of us are indeed remembering. Some of us are being reminded by forces from above. He who made kittens put snakes in the grass and were bungling in the jungle under the watchful eye of Warden Yaldibaldi and his rapey angels, anxious for us to drop the soap in the showers of our existence. Why is all creation based on dog-eat-dog? And the little fish are eaten by the big fish. Animals screaming in pain. All of creation an open wound. A fucking slaughterhouse. It's a busy universe out there. In this eternal now, we'll certainly deal with the galactic insane asylum and so much more. It ain't a podcast on the Gnostics unless we include extraterrestrial episodes. As Chris Knoll said, Gnostics were history's first UFO cult. And as Eric Davis wrote in Nomad Codes, we don't need to expiate our crimes but to discover and remember the way out of a false world created through no fault of our own. And this way out is way out. Gnostic texts crackle with a peculiar energy, an almost sci-fi sensibility of alien gods and supramundane universes of light. Though not the first cosmic dualist, the Gnostics may have been the first spiritual off-worlders. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. 
So welcome to Aeon Bite. Welcome to this stranded ship of fools where we both escape and regain our sanity. Welcome to the machine, my son, and the means to escape it. We don't take prisoners but liberate them. We are not the final authority on anything, but hope to be an endless possibility for everything. You are the final authority, have always been. We're running with those searching for the truth and avoiding those who have found it. We're writing our own gospel and living our own myth. As Johann Gottlieb Fietje said, To be free is nothing. To become free is everything. As Dr. King said, we know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. So grateful you are here, you veterans of a thousand psychic wars. You arrived to find your authentic self at the virtual Alexandria. This dream of Sophia is as sublime as the forehead of Christina Ricci as majestic as the jawbone of Ron Perlman, and as raspy, sultry as the voice of Kim Carnes. Or maybe it's Bonnie Tyler, can't remember which one. Regardless, we lift all veils here and face all forbidden truths. As Jimmy Dore said, you can no longer call them conspiracy theories, but instead call them spoiler alerts. Okay. 30,000 emails just magically disappear. I mean, how do you explain that? Hey, Anthony, do you ever think your obsession with conspiracy is a substitute for real human connection? No, not really. Okay. As mentioned, we shall be dealing with the denizens of the stars. For this voyage, we have the pleasure of being joined by Samuel Chong, who will be discussing the book, Thea Uba Prophecy. Get ready for a captivating interview dealing with many issues like alien abduction, visitation, and prophecy. We could only do a little over an hour because of scheduling issues. However, as a bonus for all subs, Vance and I have a fascinating session on these topics. As yet another bonus, I'll include a past interview with Dr. Jeff Kripal on his book, Supernatural, which he co-wrote with Whitley Strieber. Pure extraterrestrial gnosis, assay, assay. Will our clits explode? One of many key lines of Jeff and Whitley is when they say this about any alien encounters. Remember, they're not embedded with us. We're embedded with them. Keep that in mind in our interview with Samuel. I believe they're up there tonight, right now. And I think no one knows they're being affected. We all work out other reasons to justify our actions. But free will is impossible with them up there. Also, at the Virtual Alexandria Academy, I recently added the course Gnosticism and Stargates, which explains why the Gnostics were so obsessed with traveling the galaxy, either alive or dead, 
as well as their astral travel rituals and findings. Mr. Wolf, dispatch a subspace message to Admiral Hansen. We have engaged the Borg. But for a we help, here is a quote from April DeConnick's The Gnostic New Age, where she explains the Egyptian-slash-shamanistic soul of all Gnostic thought. How did the Gnostics think we go about finding the Holy Other and escaping chaos? The Gnostics were ecstatics, using the same techniques as the priests who organize mystery initiations. Only they fine-tuned them to fit their own loftier goal to invade the Holy Other realm of the Holy Other. The Gnostics used instruction and ritual to take their initiates on virtual cosmic journeys, beginning with a harrowing of hell. From there, they invaded heaven, not to check out their future residence among the stars, but to climb through it to the loftiest peak at the mouth of Draco or some other star portal, where they believed they would be spit out of the cosmos and into the other world of the Supreme God. These journeys were extremely dangerous because the gods encountered in the underworld and heavens were not to be befriended, but conquered. In order to do this successfully, the Gnostics developed elaborate training programs that relied on bodily endurance and intellectual prowess. It's like we've forgotten who we are, Tom. Explorers, pioneers, not caretakers. Well, we used to look up in the sky and wonder at our place in the stars. Now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt. Like other ecstatics, they believed that the human body could not journey to the other realms, whether hell, heaven, or the holy other world. They needed a different body that could invade non-human realms. Although they taught a progressive transformation of the body, the transfiguration of the body is less about taking on a new form and more about shedding the accumulated layers of human physicality, the weighty bodies of flesh and psyche, to recover and release the glorious spirit in residence. It was more about self-realization and actualization than a metamorphosis from one state to another. Their concept of transfiguration was understood in terms of uncloaking to reveal pure and pure bodies of light. So their initiatory rites served to teach a person to progressively unveil the power of the spirit hidden within to conquer the gods who ruled hell and the skies, and to journey along the safest route back to the supreme god. The journey was about the therapeutic growth of the divine self and its reunion with God. When our tragic human experience of brokenness and alienation is cured. Valentinus believed the world we live in was created by a cruel god, and slightly stupid, a god that will send you plagues or require sacrifices. Humans can escape this world and return to the real one, the kingdom. And for that, you needed to achieve the Gnosis, which could be described as true knowledge. Rock on, April. 
I'll end by bringing back Chris and this relevant quote from his Secret Sun blog. No, seriously, you are part of a vast and eternal network of mind that has no beginning or end. You are no less important than a star or a planet or even a galaxy. The only reason you think so is because your immortal spirit is trapped in a rotting shell on some crappy little planet run by shitlords floating out in the middle of nowhere. But that's just a temporary inconvenience. And if you're willing to do the work, you can take yourself a field trip to the cosmos whenever you like. That is all. Luminous beings don't eat, not this crude matter. Let us get off this stranded cosmic ship of fools with our interview with Samuel. Look, there's never been a single shred of evidence to show that these things exist materially. Okay, so you're telling me these things do not exist, right? Oh, they exist. All kinds of things exist all around us that we've never seen, right? Electricity, microwaves, infrared waves, you know, these things have been around forever. They show up in cave paintings. They're a normal condition of the planet. They're just not part of our consensus of what constitutes physical reality. All right, well, what, what are they part of, then? <sighs> you, you're asking for an explanation for something that can't be explained rationally. You know, the buildup of energy before something happens the way your hair stands up before lightning strikes. Right, before, so before something happens, do you mean, you mean that they cause disasters? Why would they need to? All right, then, are they, are they, are they trying to warn me? Their motivations aren't human. <laughs> All right, All right then what do they want? I have no idea. What you really want is to know why you. Yes. You noticed them, and they noticed that. You noticed them. Most people aren't sensitive enough to see them uh, without some kind of trauma. What happened to you, Mr. Klein? A light, a man, a monster. If your friend thinks he's talking to God, he's off by more than a few degrees. And how, how do you explain it? Knows everything. Hey, look at that. If there was a car crash ten blocks away, the window washer up there could probably see it. Now, that doesn't mean he's gone. Or even smarter than we are. But from where he's sitting, he can see a little further down the road. I think we can assume that these entities are more advanced than us. Why don't they just come right out and tell us what's on their minds? You're more advanced than a cockroach. Have you ever tried explaining yourself to one of them? This is the Aeon Byte interview. And with us, we have the pleasure of being joined by Samuel Chong to discuss the book. 
the Auba Prophecy. Samuel, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me here. Pleasure is all ours. Enjoy the read. And with us, too, we've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? I'm fine tonight. Looking forward to hearing about the Theoba prophecy. I'm always fascinated by, you know, the otherworldly experiences. That is true. That is definitely when it comes to uh, ufology, I have to uh, bow to your expertise. So even though we we do plenty of this show. So Samuel, well, why don't we start in the beginning, as we like to say here, how did you get involved with uh, the author of the book, Michelle DeMarquet and the Theoba Prophecy? Well, I was born in China. Uh, in the early 80s uh, in China, there were a lot of uh, books on the UFOs and ETs. I had a fascination about space and also the mysteries of the world, the paranormal. I was thinking if the ETs have uh, advanced civilization and technologies to visit us, they would be able to answer all the questions we have uh, in our lifetime. For example, the Great Pyramid, the Bermuda Triangle, the mysteries uh, around the stories in the Bible. And so I always had a fascination and the uh, subconscious mind to search for information from ET contactees. So I found a book on Amazon one day and I read it. It answered all my questions about the um, Bible because I wasn't a believer before, but it connects all the dots on how the stories came about and um, how the Bible was changed in later years. And it made a lot of sense to me. So I decided to contact the author by locating him and asking him more questions about the things that he wasn't allowed to write in the book, as he mentioned in the postscript. So you were in China and you were able to contact Michel. And uh, where was he living at the time? Well, I was born in China, but later at the age of 15, I came to the U.S. So I was in the U.S. when I found this book. But the author, Michelle Demarquet, was actually living in Vietnam at that time. Um, and before then, he was a uh, French-Australian. And and he, uh, in the early uh, 90s, he moved to Vietnam to live there permanently. And um, he was uh, really... Um, uh, a very just an average person. He was a landscaper, a farmer in Australia. He didn't know how to type. He <laughs> didn't know how to. There was no internet back then, um, but the book contains a lot of verifiable proofs, uh, interesting facts that um, that can be really proven by by modern technology. Wonderful. So you were so you went all the way from LA to uh, Vietnam. Was it easy finding him? Were you guys in correspondence, or how did you uh, decide to meet him? Well, I was uh, so desperate to find him, and I searched on the internet, and I found uh, some tourists who took photos of uh, where he was living at that time. I didn't know the exact address, so I downloaded the photo and I printed out and I showed it to the taxi driver after landed in Phukok Island, southern Vietnam. And the taxi driver took me to where he was living after the first try. 
Oh, well, yeah, it looks like uh, something drove you and you just had to go with it. And the, just as we get a little bit more of a story for the foundation. So this book was already in English, right? It was not in French. He did, did he originally write it in French? Yes, he originally wrote it in French um, in his own handwriting. Um, and then someone translated uh, from French into English and it was published first in Australia, um, uh, and, and uh, it was actually a bestseller back then. Oh, in Australia, wow. Yeah. Good deal, eh? and I've heard it also, it's done really well in China as well, hasn't it? Yes, in China and Taiwan, it has been uh, the bestseller in Taiwan and one of the bestsellers in China, um, and two countries with different uh, ideologies, and right. it's very difficult to be a bestseller in both places. <laughs> and uh, who translated it in Chinese? Uh, associate of mine, and I proofread it, and and this uh is one of the most challenging works to be done in my translation career because um, there are so many details in the book that uh, need to be repeatedly repeatedly verified. Yeah, we definitely want to get into that. Yeah, and also doing a little research, I I found out that. Uh, the uh, Theob Uba prophecy is con is it's under fiction, right? It's not under nonfiction in China. That's right. Uh, because of the censorship, the book had to be published as a science fiction over there. But in Taiwan, it's published as a nonfiction. Ah, yeah, and it's still still selling very well. I mean, it's great to, that uh, other cultures uh, are so interested in the whole ufology where we come from and all that so it's always great to hear that people are still looking at the stars everywhere across the world looking for those deeper questions like you were asking yourself about where we come from who are the gods uh how can we be alone in this little rock and all that <laughs> stuff that people want to ask questions for so and at least it's uh, it's great that it's done really well it's done really well in china and uh when so uh when you met uh, Michelle DeMarquet, uh, how was the experience of meeting somebody whose uh, visions and or journeys had really, uh, really influenced you? Was it everything you thought it would be, or how did you guys connect, or did you have a relationship? Well, in the very beginning, he didn't really welcome me. He was annoyed at, the, at my <laughs> visit. <laughs> yeah. out of he, nowhere <laughs> yeah he he was a very private person and he didn't want people to bother him because of the book um he was welcoming visitors uh not for the book but for just by opportunity to by chance to meet him and, and but then later on he found out that as chinese translator myself i could help him to follow up with a contract that he signed with a Chinese publisher who paid him $2,000 for the copyright of the book, but never got a book published. And so I did and helped him to find a different publisher because the original publisher uh, was afraid of the Chinese government and the censorship, and they decided not to publish the book in China. Mm, interesting. And is uh, Michel still with us or uh, where is he? No, he passed away four years ago. Oh, sorry to hear. Okay. Yeah, yeah fascinating. Well, for the audience, uh, Samuel, why don't you uh, give us a, a summary of what is uh, the Theauba prophecy? Well, it's a book that uh, documents 
the author Michel de Marquet's personal experiences of being taken by this group of very beautiful uh, ET extraterrestrials to their planet for nine days and then came back, in which during his trip, he was told a lot of the uh, mysteries uh, on Earth and the answers uh, regarding who built the Great Pyramid, for what purposes, and uh, what really happened in the Bermuda Triangle, and the stories uh, in the Bible, like the stories of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, the parting of the Sea of Reeds by Moses, leading the Hebrews out of Egypt, and who was uh, Jesus and who was Christ, and also uh, things that happened in relatively modern times, like the NASA's um, project, uh, Project Westford, releasing uh, hundreds of millions of needles, copper needles, into space, and the facts uh, during World War II, why uh, the U.S. government was able to develop the atomic bomb at a much earlier time than Germany, who was also developing the same atomic atomic weapon. A lot of things like this, uh, very detailed, specific information that could be verified. Indeed, yeah, I, I read the book and it was fascinating. I mean, at first I was, I was, yeah, very engaged in the book, but the book does sound almost fiction because it's not sort of a, you might say, uh, just a first person describing this sort of abduction and traveling to this other world. But I mean, it's very detailed. It's like here is a dialogue and then uh, Tao answers him. And you know what I mean? It's it's extremely detailed. How was he able to hold on to this information? After he came back, after nine days, uh, I mean, during the trip, he was told that if he had difficulty remember, remembering all the details, then Tao, the ET, would be able to help him. And after he came back, when he was writing, he would uh, have this kind of uh, flashbacks. It's just like information was being downloaded to him so that he was able to remember all the details of what happened to him personally on the planet Theova. Yeah, it would make sense. I mean, A, uh, advanced civilizations would have that capability. B, the mind uh, does remember, especially something extremely extraordinary like that. But the details would be amazing. So why do you think uh, Tao and this alien race selected him, of all people, a French farmer, a diplomat or somebody else instead? Right. I mean, the first reason is that he didn't really have any preconceived notions about uh, ETs or UFOs. Um, I mean, if uh, a ufologist was uh, taken to their planet, then uh, the information wouldn't be as pure because of the uh, pre, uh, preconceived notions about uh, how things uh, should be written about. And the second reason is probably the main reason is that uh, he was, he, Michel de Marquet had, uh, according to the book, um, 80 past lives already. Okay. So he was able to survive on the planet Theoba for nine days. Other people who, according to the book, have, have lesser uh, past lives or fewer number of uh, past lives wouldn't be, be, wouldn't be able to survive that long because of the different vibrations uh, on the planet. And I think a third reason is that uh, Michel de Marquet was a man of action. Uh, he took immediate action of uh, of uh, what he was told, and, and and this was shown to me as well because 
the second trip, he was supposed to tell me that one thing he was not allowed to write in the book. And he told me that information within 10 minutes after <laughs> meeting him, <laughs> just as if the yes, world, sir. the world was, what was about to be end to end. <laughs> Very fast action. Oh boy. Wow. So, and, uh, well, why don't we get to the reason, uh, he, something spoke to you about this book but at the end of the day why do you believe in this book or what can be verified according to you about this book that makes it authentic versus other abduction uh stories that are, there are many out there i mean um like uh, frankly speaking until i read the chapter who was christ um and I really thought this was just another ET contactees book, just a normal, just a average ufology, uh, a book on, on UFOs or ETs. But then when I read the book, uh, the chapter on who is Christ, uh, who is Christ, it really answered all my questions about the Bible. I didn't believe anything written in the Bible until I read this book because, uh, you know, Jesus, some people say Jesus went to India. That really doesn't match what was being told in the Bible. And I didn't know who was correct, or who was correct on that. And this book really explains like, um, like how Jesus was born out of Virgin Mary and then went to India and died in Japan. So there's a tomb of Jesus Christ in Shingo village, Japan, that people can look it up. Um, on the internet. Remember, this book was written in the late 80s and early 90s. There was no internet back then in Australia. And the author, Michel Demarquet, never visited Japan in his entire life. And, and this book was had so much detailed descriptions about the tomb of Jesus Christ in Shingo village, Japan. And it also explains why Jesus uh, Christ, after he began preaching, called his mother woman uh, in the New Testament. And I'm a linguist and I study languages. Not a single language in the world in which people would call their mother woman because a mother and a son or the child have a very special relationship. And But Jesus did. And why that's the case? And why Jesus never performed any miracles before the age of 28? I mean, there was no record of him performing any miracles, at least in the in the in the Bible. Um, so that really um, is a mystery to me until I read this book. No, that makes sense. Yeah, you're talking about the Gospel of John during the wedding at Cana, where Jesus becomes a little irritated with his mother. Yes, if I called my mother a woman, she would have slapped me across the room in those days. So that makes sense. But you, so who exactly was Jesus? Are you saying that he was, he really was uh, uh, being from another planet? He was not human? Or tell us who Jesus was. And for the audience, yes, these, uh, there is a very rich Jesus in Japan tradition in Shingo and other places, far more than India and other places than Asia. But yeah, big time there. Well, um, Jesus and Christ are actually two different beings, according to this book, according to the ETs. Um, and Jesus was indeed born out of Virgin Mary by the embryo implanted into the uterus of uh, Virgin Mary. He was a very uh, special man, very spiritual and highly intelligent. So he was able to have a very 
um, profound conversation with the the, um, the, 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 the temple masters at that time, the teachers of the temple. But he wasn't able to perform any miracles because he was born that way um, from the embryo. His astral body went into the embryo and the when a person is born that way, uh, the person has to pass uh, what they call the river of oblivion, forgetting everything happened in the past lives and forgetting all the knowledge accumulated in the past lives. So he didn't know, he didn't have the knowledge to perform the miracles. So that's why there was no record of him performing any miracles in the Bible. And he is that Jesus that later went to India and, and later died in Japan. Christ, on the other hand, was actually uh, a being from the planet Theoba who took on the body of uh, Jesus made by the great masters of their planet to preach spirituality and love on earth to revive and to really try to lead people at that time to the right direction, the direction of spirituality. And that Christ actually died, indeed died on a cross and resurrected three days after, just to show people at that time that there is life after death and there is reincarnation. But somehow the message, the concept of reincarnation was removed by the church councils um, of uh, the later years. And uh, this book actually was so specific, it named the four different church councils that distorted the original meanings of the Bible. Yeah, it's a fascinating tradition. And yeah, I mean, uh, in uh, Islam, obviously, there's a tradition that Jesus didn't die at the cross, that he was uh, plucked up. But in some of the Gnostic Gospels, there are two Jesuses, one on the cross and one that stands there away from the cross and like the apocalypse of peter and the acts of john so there was definitely this tradition so so just so the audience knows the human jesus survived he was not crucified and he simply went back to japan where he he died and he had followers there and basically spread the word or what happened well, he died, the, the human Jesus died in Japan and he was a very highly spiritual person. And he taught uh, a lot of the, he brought uh, actually a lot of the customs from ancient uh, uh, Israel, uh, the, the Hebrews. And so that's why when people visit Shingo village Japan nowadays, they're going to see that the people living in that village have a very different custom from the rest of Japan. And they sing a song that sounded like uh, the ancient Hebrew language. So that actually matches what's uh, described in this book, Theoba Prophecy. And one other thing I'd like to point out that the word Theoba is pronounced very similarly to the word Jehovah. Um, and there is actually a connection there because according to this book, the when, when, when people read in the Bible, the Jehovah's, said this and that it should be uh the theubans said this and that because they have uh, always been watching us and trying to guide us to the to the right path the path of spirituality yeah that is true in fact uh when i was talking to vance today you all you made that connection didn't you vance theuba and jehovah 
Yeah, you know, I read it actually. I I didn't to come up with it myself, but I'm curious as to what the um the Thubans are like. Are they um energy beings or are they humans like us with special powers? Um, how do they accomplish this thing with you know merging with Jesus? I mean, they are highly evolved uh, human beings, just like us. They're much taller than us, much more beautiful than us, and they're hermaphrodites, and and they are blonde, uh, very, very beautiful, woman-looking beings. They have all the supernatural powers, all the supernatural abilities um, performed by, by Jesus when or Christ when, when Christ was uh, on earth. And they could levitate, they could make things disappear, they could influence people's mind, they could uh, do uh, teleportation, they could uh, revive the dead. And But they're helping us in a very indirect way right now by requesting Michel Demarquet to report his personal experiences of what he was um, shown to the, um, on their planet uh, and also of what he was told to reveal some of the important messages that people have always been wondering about on Earth. Okay, so they're physical. They're physical beings, but much more advanced than we are. Yes, and they're from a category nine planet, the highest category in the universe. Oh, great. What about us humans? What are we, one, two? <laughs> we are on category one planet, the lowest category uh, <laughs> in the universe. We are just like uh, elementary school students in which... Uh, we see we have a lot of problems nowadays, but there's nothing to be ashamed of um, of being a category one planet uh, because we are learning, we are constantly trying to evolve spiritually. And when a person dies, uh, the person will have a life reveal process uh, of um, determining how he or she did in the in the lifetime. And then depending on how, how he or she did, and and he or she may be evolved to a different uh, category of planet in the in the next lifetime. So they have a high spirituality, a metaphysics spiritual world, and they obviously, whether it's human or extraterrestrial, believe in reincarnation, the the cycle of the souls. Exactly, that's correct. And Michel de Marquet was actually shown his past uh, eighty lifetimes. Uh, briefly during his trip, um, I mean, on, on the planet Theova. And there are a lot of uh, very credible scientific researches on near-death experiences and also reincarnation. Uh, Dr. Ian Stevenson was uh, one of the medical doctors who did a lot of studies on reincarnation. And I think uh, people, when they read this book, uh, should have an open mind uh, I mean, the Bible doesn't mention about reincarnation, doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. So um, it may be removed and maybe, I think uh, people in the past um, believed in reincarnation in the early Christianity days. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 
91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Oh, yeah, the Gnostics certainly did. Uh, the the Greeks, uh, Egyptians, and uh, yeah, it's not, uh, obviously, Judaism has extracted uh, the the idea of reincarnation, the Gilgul, just from the, the Hebrew Bible. I think in the New Testament, you've got, there's that, again, going back to the Gospel of John, there's that blind man, and the, uh, the Pharisees ask why he's blind, and Jesus actually says he's punished for his uh, sins before he, before he was alive. In other words, saying that he was punished for some karma in another life. And then obviously, I think uh, John the Baptist is a ring. There's hints of John the Baptist being a reincarnation of, I think, Isaiah or Elijah. So, Elijah. Yeah. Elijah, you're right. So there is a little bit in the New Testament. But outside of that, in other Christian texts like the Gnostics and other, it's all over. So it was not uncommon. Like you said, Samuel, it was just solely uh, taken out, if you would. So, and, uh, so the race of Taori is that just so there are that's not the only alien race, right? There are others, or is that just the specific one he was able to take in? Are they watching over us, or is there a whole confederacy out there, as some of our past guests have told us? Well, they are the main ones uh, watching over us, uh, trying to guide us throughout history. Um, like I mentioned, as recorded in the ancient scriptures um, in the in the Bible, uh, including the Book of Enoch, and and uh, but there are other ET beings uh, in our galaxy. And the author Michelle de Marquet was shown uh, about two hundred uh, corpses of ETs uh, floating in the golden doko, uh, which is a golden uh, structure on on the planet Theoba. They were actually the Theobans were actually. Uh, one of the main, one of the three um, planets, uh, planets uh, in our galaxy that are uh, in category nine, um, then their main responsibility um, was to watch over uh, category one planets like us. And uh, but there are other ETs, and and Michelle actually encountered uh, ET from a different planet, a category one planet. Um, himself and and he was uh, told uh, how they were able to use uh, nonviolent resistance to um, revolt against the totalitarian regime and um, the Theobans took uh, great pains of inviting that uh, inhabitant of that planet to meet Michel de Marquet symbolizing that we are going to have uh, similar problems in the future because when you look at this Nowadays, um, we are influenced by the mainstream media. A lot of people are. And uh, what if the mainstream media is controlled by a small group of people trying to uh, influence how we think? What if the politicians in our world are actually manipulated by a small group of people? Um, and 
And when you think about this, you you, you can probably see that the uh, uh, either whether it's Republicans or Democrats, they come and go every four or eight years. <laughs> yeah. But they're like small group of people running behind everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not what if, Samuel. It's that's how it is. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, and they they want to, yeah, they're not, they don't have the best interest for humanity and the planet, needless to say. And this book gives the solution. Uh, so the solution is uh, just to imitate how, uh, what uh, Martin Luther King and Gandhi did in the past, using nonviolent resistance through a concerted action by the people to voice our opinions against the tyranny. So I think this is one of the main themes of the book is to open our eyes up and to have more people to be awakened uh, by what's really happening around the world. Uh, and I think uh, everyone should uh, really delve into this book and to to read about it. No, that's well said. Again, as I tell people, there's a lot more of us than they are of them. And all we need is just to push back and we can have a different world for sure. So yeah, I love the the advice. And um, so what about humanity? And again, a lot of these answers I know, Samuel, I did read the book again, and I enjoyed it. But for the audience, what are the origins of humanity? Did we come from Earth? Did we originate from Earth? Well, we, different races of people were from different planets. The blacks and the uh, yellow people, the uh, Chinese, they were yeah, for, uh, yeah. For the audience, uh, uh, it's not a politically correct book, right? <laughs> right, it's written in the early nineties. Uh, right, right. You could say these things back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and also, if I say African Americans, um, there will be Americans, uh, but they're not African Africans. So I would just use the word blacks. And, and indeed, actually, the uh, the blacks. Um, and the yellow people originally came from the planet Bakaratini about 3.5 million years ago. The blacks uh, landed uh, in Australia, the current day Australia back then. And then the yellow people landed in, uh, in Myanmar um, back then. And then the Caucasians later came from a different planet and they first uh, resided uh, on the continent of uh, Atlantis. Um, and there was a continent called Atlantis, Atlantis back then, but then later it sunk into the ocean. Um, and the Jewish people came later, about uh, about 12,000 years ago, from a different planet called Hebra. And they were originally from Category 3 planet. This is not written in the book, but Michel de Marquet told me personally when I met him. Um, and this book actually explains why the Jewish people, the Hebrews, were the chosen people. Um, and, and people should read uh, this book to find out more information. But basically, they were more spiritually evolved than than the other races of people at that time. Uh, so the Theobans uh, wanted really uh, the, the the Hebrews to uh, to to evolve and, and to uh, lead uh, the rest of the uh, different races people. Uh, I mean. It's it's uh, really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's quite a quite a plot too. Yeah, I'm thinking, may the Schwartz be with you from 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 that movie. But uh, what do you think, Vance? Any questions? Oh yeah, this is interesting. Um, I was wondering if um, you know the the uh, Theoban uh, lore and information mentioned if there are other 
evil ETs trying to wreck us and, you know, trying to create evil or spread evil on the earth, like well, the devil and so forth. Mm -hmm. Well, the book uh, really doesn't mention anything about that. I can give you my personal opinion is that if there were evil ETs trying to invade us or enslave us or trying to do harm, cause harm to us, they would have done that long time ago. They wouldn't need to wait until now or in the future to do that unto us. And this is one explanation. The other explanation is that uh, there's a very specific universal law that uh, um spiritual evolvement or advancement has to be paired up with the technology evolvement or advancement. So if a species or if a race of people is only technologically evolved and not spiritually evolved, then they're not ready to explore the space. So this is actually what happened back then about 50 years ago. When NASA had astronauts landed on the moon, and I wonder if people would ask this question: Why, for fifty years, we never went back to the moon? Good question. <laughs> yeah, because we were warned off from the moon.、Um, they saw、um, ETs、um, when they landed there, and、uh, they were told never to go back to the moon because、uh, we were not ready because we were. We are still having wars with each other, and and just imagine if you are、um, to visit a zoo or maybe like a jungle in Africa, when you when you see like、uh, the gorillas fighting against each other, would you want them to?、Uh, would would you invite them to your beautiful house? <laughs> no,、uh, no, you wouldn't. I mean,、no. it's the same thing, same analogy. Yeah, that's I've heard I've heard many times over the years about you know Neil Armstrong,、uh, you know,、uh, talking about、um, wow, there's big ships on the rim of the crater and so forth. And really,、wow. yeah, yeah, that's a well-known thing in ufology, that's for sure. I wonder if I wonder if、um, and so these Theobians、uh, they they actually、uh, influence our history to keep us from going too far over the edge. Exactly. Yes. Um, there, are, like the stories about、um, Sodom Gomorrah, was were, were actually done by their intervention because uh, uh, it's not about sodomy. It's not only about sodomy. It's about、um, how the people in the two cities were punishing the compassionate, the nice,、uh, the the loving people, residents in the two cities. They were actually、um, trying to. Like they were so decayed that they they killed、uh, they they actually killed、uh, like a lot of the residents who were trying to help other people. So、um, if you read the ancient uh, Jewish uh, texts or scriptures, you're gonna see they're far from、um, the reason of、uh, Sodom.、Um, and imagine if you have、uh, cancerous tumors、um, on your body, and they're trying to, I mean. Uh, it's going to spread to other parts of your body.、Um, would you keep the tumors, or would you try to get rid of the tumors? It's the same analogy、um, of what happened to the two cities.、Um, they were contaminating and making a very bad example to the people who are in contact with them. So that's why the Theobans had to 
get rid of the two cities. Wow. Any other cities that they've done this with? or? Well, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> In Africa, um, back then, um, the evil priests, um, just like nowadays, um, they influenced the people through um, mind controls uh, and and they uh, distracted um, um, one of the cities in Africa um, and killing some of the priests who were not uh, going to mend their ways. And, and, and yeah, they, they did uh, several times in the past. Interesting. And what, but what happened, Samuel? I mean, how did the uh, the blacks and the Hebrews and the yellows, they just slowly forgot this lore or was it something on purpose done by the elite to cut us off from our past or how did it how did we forget all this well we have a very bad memory we forget <laughs> what happened in the past. Yeah, guilty as charged <laughs> i don't know where my glasses are half of the time <laughs> yeah because when we are born into uh into this world we have to go through the river of oblivion, forgetting everything happened in our past lives. Right. Uh, and so that's why we forget about the past. Uh, and, and this is one reason. The other reason is that we also have our own free will. Um, when someone is in power, then he would have the free will to do whatever he wants to the world. And sometimes because of greed, because of the free will, he would um, like try to use his power to control the people through different means like the media, like uh, the politicians and things like that. So it's, it's more like a, a constant uh, uh, interaction between free will of the power that are and, and the, the mass of the people. So we have to um, ask the people and try to help the people to wake up to be enlightened, to open their eyes up. And how do did uh, Michelle give any techniques, or do you know of how we can, as an individual, remember our past lives or origins? I mean, I I have dreams, and sometimes in my hypnotic hypnotic state, between falling asleep and waking up, I have visions that I'm somebody completely alien somebody i've never met or know in another place in another time and it feels so real but are there any techniques to remember our past and see the world as it is have yeah, you through, tried anything through meditation people can constantly communicate with uh, the person higher self or over self and uh, this is one way to do that I tried it, but I haven't been able to succeed in discovering my past lives. I also tried the um, past life uh, regression, but I wasn't able to be hypnotized. But some other people can be. Um, I don't know anything about my past life personally, uh, even though I'm very curious about it. But uh, I think a lot of uh, the answers can be found through um, meditation and concentration. Because according to this book and other books, um, through certain psycho, um, psychic practice, uh, people can enter into this kind of uh, mental state to visit uh, the past lives and to go into the Akashic records. 
this is actually also documented by an author named uh, James Churchward, who visited uh, a temple in India. Uh, a monk in from that temple uh, took him to his past lives and explains why he was able to meet uh, that monk. And a lot of things um, are explained. A lot of things in our current lives are explained um, because of what uh, we did in our past lives. Oh, yeah, certainly. Certainly, yes. Uh, we relive. Uh, it influences our behavior unconsciously. Yeah, in fact, uh, I'm quoting from the book. In one part, uh, it says, your astral body, which inhabits every normal human being, transfer to its higher self all the sensations that are experienced during a lifetime in a physical body so it's very it's very similar to the idea of the of the ancient idea of the daemon uh, the part of us that is higher and then even the greeks had this myth from plato where yeah every time we die we go to this liminal place and they would dip us into the rivers of lethe and we would forget and only our higher self remembers our past lives so we have to sort of reach our higher self again through contemplation meditation altered states of mind so these beings are just they're kind of giving us the wisdom of ancient mystics aren't they nothing really new yes uh, and actually uh, gives a lot of uh, the other ancient uh, wisdoms uh, for example how the great pyramid was built yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, <laughs> it was actually built by a very wise and learned person from the continent Atlantis called uh, Thoth, and oh. about uh, seventeen thousand years ago, and he built a great pyramid using anti-gravitational technologies and supersonic vibrational systems in order to cut the huge stones in, in a very precise manner. And the Great Pyramid of Egypt was actually a, a tool to capture cosmic energy and to concentrate the energy in a form, in a way that the user of the pyramid could actually communicate with people from other planets. They also used the energy of the Great Pyramid to concentrate uh, the energy into the sky so that clouds would form and the rain would fall. So they would actually moderate weather using the Great Pyramid as a tool. Um, and a lot of uh, things uh, match with uh, modern discoveries. Uh, and, and people say that uh, the U.S. government has long uh, discovered uh, the secrets of uh, anti-gravitational technologies. And there are um, U.S. Uh, secret government programs that try to imitate uh, the way the real ET flying objects fly into the sky. Um, but there are other ulterior motives um, of the government. And, um, and I think uh, people should really distinguish the real ET experiences, which are mostly, which are always benign and pleasant. And, and like Michel de Marquet, he felt great love and compassion from the people um, in Theoba. Um, versus the other experiences that in which people have this kind of illusion, or maybe kind of uh, horrifying experiences of being 
um, abducted by supposedly the ET crafts, but those are actually secret government programs trying to imitate or try to make illusions of the abduction experiences, trying to scare people away. So those two have to be really distinguished. Mm, yeah, fascinating. And yeah, I love it. His name was Thoth. Uh, I'm starting to suspect that the aliens were hermeticists. Uh, but it's interesting too, or interesting, what I want to ask you is, do you, so do you think the the establishment, the lead people at high echelons of uh, American, Chinese, Russian government, they know the truth and they're keeping it from us? Or do you think they're as ignorant as the masses? I think uh, the U.S. government uh, has been collaborating with the great ETs uh, to get their technology and to advance uh, militarily and uh, through the military-industrial complex. And there are other uh, governments in the world uh, who are trying to do, to do the same thing. But the great ETs are actually um, from a category one planet. So they are also having their own issues uh, and Michelle Demarque actually disclosed uh, uh, a fact uh, in a public lecture that uh, the great ETs also, um, they're a dying race because their immune system has been decreasing. And they're watching us to see how we respond to the same or similar situation of having a decreasing, um, increasingly decreased immune system over the years since 1948. And so... I think the governments know something about the ETs, but they don't necessarily know that uh, the Theobans are the ones who have been watching us throughout history as documented in the ancient scriptures in the Bible. And I really don't think the government has uh, is um, knows this. Um, uh, at least the U.S. government doesn't know this. How about the Nordic types? Are, are they the Theobans or is it the Nordic uh, type of ETs uh, separate? You know, I I um I also read uh, something about uh, Billy Meyer and some of the other people who um claim that they encountered uh, the Nordics. Uh, one way to distinguish uh, the uh, the ETs is that uh, it's about the information that they tell us. Whether the information can can be proven or um, or have a resonance uh, in 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 people's hearts. For example, if uh, some messages say that the Great Pyramid was actually built using 200,000 slaves over a 40-year period. That message doesn't really resonate to what I I think or I, I feel. Um, and so, for example, Billy Myers said that, um, and, and I, I don't think uh, that would be a message that uh, have a certain value. I, I look at the messages that have foundations uh, and can be verified and, and are specific. Uh, so, so I think um, um, the focus of me of my research investigation is to really find useful and valuable message that can impact our future and to lead us to a more spiritual growth. Yeah, that's great. You know, I was wondering. Um, what do they say, um, um, the Theobans, about the nature of God and, you know, God, our connections to God? Um, or how do they conceive of God? Do they have an equivalent of a religion? 
Right, uh, it's a very good question. God is the creator of everything, the solar system, the universe, and the planets, and, and people, and animals. And in order to feel and to experience life, God, the source of the great ether, the great spirit, inserted a tiny portion of itself to every one of us human beings. In order to experience life, the happiness, the sorrows, and also everything that happens in our life, including challenges that we face. Um, and our spiritual lessons are, are really accumulated. And uh, only the good experiences and valuable spiritual lessons are sent back to our higher self. And, and our higher self uh, is actually connected to the great source, uh, the great ether, the great spirit. So um, the Bible says the kingdom of God is within you. So that means when we encounter challenges in our lifetimes, um, like the financial issues, the relationship problems, we should look inside of ourselves for answers, to look into our heart, to connect to our own higher self. We should not rely on religious leaders or the government or the media or anyone else we should always seek for answers inside of ourselves. And um, there is no religion in the planet, on the planet Theoba. And actually, religion is one of the four major curses on Earth. The first one being money. The second one being the politicians. The third one, the journalists and drugs, uh, hallucinogenic drugs. And the fourth one, religion. So, um, I mean, spirituality is, is different from religion and religion religions are controlled by the people and we grow our own spirituality by looking inside ourselves well said so what did uh what did the, the theobians feel about what is our future for example again we talked about this earlier samuel you talked about how the uh the these beings were able to sort of stall the Nazis from getting a hold of the atom bomb before the Americans got a hold of it. But at the same time, they didn't exactly stop Hiroshima and uh, they, didn't, uh, they didn't stop the two bombs falling on Japan, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And I'm sure the earthlings uh, level two being armed with all this power must worry them so how do they feel about our our technological advances or what do they think of the future for us are we in trouble well they um they say that the atomic bomb is actually a necessary step of uh, evolution and uh, we just need to learn how to live uh, peacefully and harmoniously, and not to abuse that uh, atomic uh, bomb or technology to destroy ourselves. And they really didn't prevent the U.S. government from deploying the bomb into the two cities in Japan because they chose the, the lesser of the two uh, evils. Um, if they didn't uh, prevent Germany from having the bomb, uh, or if they didn't if they stopped the U.S. government deploying the bomb uh, into the two cities in Japan, there would have been more, three times more death than than what actually happened. So that's why uh, they they helped us. They sided to the U.S. government with the U.S. government at that time because the they believed that the U.S. government was more sincere 
in uh, in in making the world a, a better world at that time. Um, and the, what's like what lies in the future? It really depends on how we respond to our current challenges, because the past is fixed, the future is not. We can change our future. I think this is why Michel de Marquet was instructed to write this book in order to enlighten more people around the world, because nonviolent resistance requires concerted action by the people. The more people are together, uh, the, the, the more likelihood that we are going to change the world into a better world. But more people need to wake up. I'll give you an analogy. Enoch was taken away, was taken away by gods, by the Jehovah's, the Theovans too. And, um, he was instructed to write a book too. So there was a book of Enoch. Remember what happened to Enoch a few days, a few decades later. What happened to Noah, the great grandson of Enoch? He was told to build an ark. So Michel de Marquet was told to write this book in the early 90s and do the calculation. Uh, we need to wake up as early as possible. Great advice for sure. We definitely need to wake up. And that's something I, I definitely uh, stress on this show. And has it made your life better? Or uh, like uh, many of us, our family just look at us strange. <laughs> My family looks at me as a very strange uh, person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm trying my best because uh, after knowing that one thing he was not allowed to write in a book, I feel that I have more responsibility uh, to spread the messages and to promote a book. I'm trying to reach as many influential people as possible and also as many platforms uh, or shows as possible, mm -hmm. hoping that uh, we can change our future to the better. Because if we do not, then then something is going to happen. Yeah, something bad. But at the same time, you are kind of vindicated, aren't you, Samuel? I mean, there's the government is admitting there's a lot of UFOs. There are objects that can't. I mean, it's in other words, regardless of what you think, the idea of extraterrestrials and UFOs is no longer a fringe thing when the New York Times and the federal government is talking about it. I think the mainstream media is trying to distort it in a different direction by making the ETs uh, a threat and, and trying to say to the people that they're going to invade us, they're the bad ETs. And, and I think it's going to be uh, a very dangerous path if people believe that way. Well, hopefully they won't. And uh, yeah, I have to ask you when, uh, as we get towards the end of the interview, when I was a kid and I remember my mother and my godmother and her friends would have these chat and i was a little kid in the late 70s and uh, i'd have to listen they weren't talking about clothes and losing weight well they were but they were also talking about conspiracies now i understand where i got this sort of mentality so as a little kid i would listen to them and the big conspiracies were always hitler went to argentina uh ufos uh there were a few others but the big conspiracy too which i used to talk about is the bermuda triangle and when i lived in mexico it was called the devil's triangle so tell us tell the audience what is the truth about the bermuda triangle 
According to the Theobans, the Bermuda Triangle is one of the places on Earth in which uh, like a warp exists, um, like a portal connecting our world into a parallel universe. So ships and planes that um, are close to that area got sucked into that parallel universe. Sometimes they come out, sometimes most of the times they don't. And uh, sometimes people get sucked into that uh, portal or universe, parallel universe too. So there's a researcher um, who uh, wrote a series of books called uh, Missing 411. His name is David Politis. He documented a lot of uh, the hikers or people who uh, vanish around the national parks in the right, U.S. Yeah. yeah. And Michel de Marquis actually was in a parallel universe before he went on the spaceship of the Theobans. He actually saw people wearing medieval clothes and, and also savages um, from ancient times who got stuck, uh, who got stuck in, 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 into the parallel universe. And he was told that uh, in the parallel universe, um, time stops and people there don't feel any pain or hunger or thirst. So David Plaidus had accounts of people when the corpse were found, they had injuries, kind of like self-inflicted injuries that people normally wouldn't have done that. And, and he also found people uh, whose corpse, um, when found, were like uh, they walked to their bones and, and as if they didn't feel any pain. And I found that to be very interesting because the two accounts match each other. Um, people don't feel any pain in a parallel universe. No, no, I agree with you 100%. There's so much documentation, not just Bermuda Triangle, but in the United States of, like you said, hikers, explorers falling into uh, a wormhole and going back in time and coming back with different objects. Yeah, it's very well documented. Uh, so I have no doubt about that. And Vance, as we get to the end, do you have any uh, last questions or remark before you fall into a wormhole? <laughs> I'll crawl out of my wormhole and ask this. <laughs> um, is anyone in contact with the Theubians now the way uh, Michelle was? Uh, not that I know of, because um, I am a person of uh, uh, independent uh, act or mind. I wanted to take full advantage of this lifetime to accumulate spiritual lessons and to the best I can to spread the messages. Um, using analogy, if a, if a parent is to teach a mathematical uh, solution to the child, um, then the best way is to give the child the basic concepts and not to give the answers directly to the child. And I, on the other hand, I wouldn't want any suggestions or or any uh, instructions or hints either. And I wanted to solve the problem on my own because that way I can learn best. I can remember best. So this is how I um, my mentality my mentality works. I, I don't want any assistance from the Theobans as of now, unless it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, I understand. Great. Yeah, makes sense. So for the audience, where can they get the book, The Theauba Prophecy, in the usual places, or where they, where can they find out more about you? They can find the book on Amazon by searching the title of the book, Theauba Prophecy. 
and they can search on Google the title of the book, Theoba Prophecy, and my name, Samuel Chong. The spelling of the book, of the word Theoba is T-H-I-A-O-O-U-B-A, and it's going to be a fascinating read. And reading this book is actually the best investment I have ever made in my entire life because it gives me so much spiritual knowledge that is so valuable. It's incomparable to millions of dollars. Oh, I agree with you. Yes. Spiritual freedom. There's nothing like it. It's uh, faith, hope, everything all at once. So yeah, I enjoyed the read too. So yeah, definitely check it out. And as always for the audience, uh, I will have link, a link in the show notes to this book. So uh Check it out and let us know what you think. But uh, we are at the end of this fascinating journey. Uh, Vance, thanks for uh, keeping us company. Oh, I enjoyed it. And a lot of good stuff was said tonight. Agreed, agreed. Uh, so much good knowledge and, yeah, so much uh, wise uh, wise words for a better world before it's too late. Well, Samuel, we really appreciate you coming on Aeon Byte and uh, good luck on your journey. And uh, we definitely support you to keep promoting this wonderful work. Thank you. Thank you very much. And there you have it, you shining crazy diamonds. Samuel furnishes this galactic insane asylum with some needed astronosis. As mentioned in the intro, we could only do a little over an hour because of scheduling issues. However, as a bonus for all subs, Vance and I have a captivating session on these topics. As another bonus, I'll include a past interview with Dr. Jeff Kripal on his book, Supernatural, which he co-wrote with Whitley Strieber. Don't miss it, and don't miss the Gnosticism and Stargate's presentation at the Virtual Alexandria Academy. Among many other incredible lessons, to both understand and experience the Gnostics in all their astral wisdom. So please become a member for the full cosmic download of this and all other episodes. It's only $6.99 at AB Prime a month or $4.99 at Red Circle or whatever you want to pledge on Patreon. You'll get access to my private Facebook group and Discord channel for AB Prime members and high-level Patreons. If you find value in this content, please support this Red Bill Cafeteria. Your help can be in the form of some shekel donations to PayPal or the U.S. Mail. There is also a link on the show notes if you want to leave a tip via Stripe now, or you can tip on any YouTube show. If you want to help via Bitcoin or other crypto, reach out to me for the addresses. Consider joining the Finding Hermes program, where we have bi-monthly meetings on Gnostic practices and rituals, as well as some really cool Q&As. If you need help with all of these choices, just message my ass. I'm always here to help, and I truly appreciate your help. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. 
we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.